This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. We learned this past week that a staggering amount of money in provincial pandemic relief went to businesses that were not eligible for it. Nearly a billion dollars. In her comprehensive report, Ontario Auditor General Bonnie Lissick found $210 million was spent on grants to small businesses that were not eligible for them, and $714 million was paid to cover losses that businesses did not actually incur. It's the kind of waste that would have made Premier Doug Ford furious before his progressive conservatives formed government. Now he is explaining that these errors occurred in the rush to get help to those who needed it, but also said his government will go after bad actors, although he didn't explain how or when this would happen. On Thursday, Libby got reaction from Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and Ontario Auditor General herself, Bonnie Lissick. This program was the Ontario Small Business Support Grant Program. The approved amount for that program was actually the $3.4 billion. Uh, total payments that went out on that program were about $2.9 billion. In about $2.9 billion, about $210 um, million, uh, went to ineligible recipients, and that amount was written off in the government's financial statement. So that money has been written off. The other amount that we have in our report relates to program design. So people that were eligible to receive money would have been people that, um, so they would have received either $10,000 and then a second tranche of another 10000 So in a, I'm going to refer you back to a figure in our report, figure 13 in our report, where it indicates what, pers- what people said their losses were, because all they were doing is comparing one month to another month a year later. And if you showed a loss for that particular month, you became eligible, even if your loss was only like a dollar, you would still get the $10,000. So we looked at that and, uh, and that's how we came up with the amount of money. And, and it's program design in the sense that the, the, uh, it was $10,000 minimum that was provided to people versus the amount that, that, um, was being shown by this calculation that they would have been entitled to. There was, confusion around the program. So we have that written up in the report. So so I, I guess I'd say that at the end of the day, if they had had more time to put in place the controls and a, and a better design, then the money would have reached um, those um, who could provide support that they needed that money. 
And now let's go to Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and Franco Terrazano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Well, Rocco, let's begin with you. What's your reaction to that? That's uh, a lot of money to businesses who are not eligible for it. The Premier's saying, well, you know, they, if they were going to cheat, they did. Uh, and um, no plans to uh, recoup it. The real tragedy in all this is that many businesses who did need it and who failed because they didn't receive it uh, have gone under. Uh, and and uh, not going after it, I think, is a mistake for so many reasons. It's it's important to to recover every dollar as long as you can do it effectively and efficiently. We understand in the initial uh, weeks and uh, and months, you can say, look, everything had to be rushed, and and uh, we're trying to save the patient here. Uh, but uh, as time goes on, you have to tighten those things up, and you have to get that money so it can be directed to where it's needed or to not spend it if it's not needed. Uh, well, yeah, let's bring in Franco Terrazano. And that's one of the criticisms uh, of all of this is that, hey, that that wasn't that didn't take place, you know, in, in March of 2020. It happened months into it. Yeah, we've been dealing with this pandemic now for more than a year and a half. Right. And, and you understand when a government's trying to move fast, some mistakes may happen. But we've had so long uh for these mistakes to be corrected. And we also have to remember that loopholes can't be so big they can drive a truck through them. And now we're hearing that the Ford government has no intention to try to recover these funds. Well, that's unacceptable. And taxpayers have every right to make sure that this money is recovered because it really comes down to an issue of fairness. It's not fair for taxpayers, for families to see their tax bill go up because some businesses, some businesses, not all, of course, some businesses received money that they shouldn't have. We, We expect the Ford government, especially with its massive debt bill, to make sure that it can recover at least some of these funds. Franco Terrazano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. And Ontario Auditor General Bonnie Lissick. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The Omicron variant is a development that is throwing into uncertainty many people's Christmas and winter travel plans. But will the new rules and restrictions slow down or even stop the advance of the new variant? The biggest challenge now is for those international travelers coming back to Canada, with the exception of those who've only been to the United States. These individuals need to take a COVID test at the airport upon arrival and then quarantine until the results come in. Libby spoke about this on Wednesday with Martin Firestone, travel expert and president of Travel Secure Inc., and epidemiologist Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious disease specialist at the University Health Network. Yes, yeah, so if we're focusing just on the, the new announcement regarding the testing and the isolation, I think it may have the effect of slowing down the transmission of the virus. The question is, to what extent is it already here and to what extent is it in the U.S.? And the reason that's important is because this um, this policy does not apply to people traveling from the U.S. So it makes sense to initiate some of these restrictions in the meanwhile, but uh, the travel bans themselves are, are different, and I, I think that is probably of less value. 
Okay, and and uh, Martin, uh, I bet it's uh, going to slow down business. <laughs> I would say we are one step forward and two steps back with what's happened now. We were just beginning to think it was behind us. We were having a banner month of people, everybody getting away. And as of the last two days, hesitancy galore on international travel for sure. And even to the U.S., they're worrying about this upcoming Thursday, what potential announcements going to be made with respect to a new requirement to enter into the U.S. One of the favorite things of our leaders at all levels of government, one of the favorite things they've been saying for the last few days is it's, it's a cause for concern, but it's, it's not a cause for panic. So my question is, what's a cause for panic and, and what will be made better by us panicking? I mean, really, what, I mean, what are they saying with that, Dr. Vaisman? I think a cause for panic might be if we find out that this new variant is truly a lot more deadly, so a lot more virulent than the previous variants we had, and is in fact as transmissible as is theorized. But if it's simply more transmissible with either equivalent or less virulent, then it's not a you know a cause to panic. And I'm assuming panic means to some extent more restrictions or some kind of higher level of you know authoritarian you know measures or something. But of course, panic doesn't necessarily mean being irrational. But really, right now, we don't know the answer to that question. We don't know if this new variant is far more virulent than what we currently have. And so these kinds of um, mandates regarding traveling, coming into the country, testing and isolation are kind of one way that you could possibly slow down the transmission of this virus until we do know more. Uh, and Martin, what's your sense? I mean, it, it isn't affecting people going to and from the United States. So uh, what's your sense from your clients? Well, it's not yet. I mean, as I said, Thursday, you could find out a couple things that he wants uh, a one day, 24 hour test result as opposed to the current 72 hour one, which I'm not quite sure how you run and get one and get the results and get yourself uh, uploaded and all that and get yourself ready to go. So that's a concern. But the real concern would be if he enforced, this is President Biden, the a seven-day quarantine for all people entering the U.S. That would be problematic, I think. So that's a major concern. And internationally, no one I know wants to be in some country and find out that they can't get back to Canada, as is what's happening in South Africa. So that's causing tremendous concern at this point. Dr. Vaisman, to uh, to wrap things up, you know, the science table said yesterday, we need public health measures. So what would you want to tell our audience to be doing um, in addition to what they probably are already doing, even though we're all kind of relaxing, I guess? Yeah, I think what we how we'll behave and what would be the appropriate things to do over the next few weeks really depends on what we find out about the variant and how much cases already will rise here in Ontario. So I would advise the audience to pay careful attention to the numbers and pay careful attention to the announcements by Dr. Tam and Dr. Moore about whether additional limitations will be recommended, such as limitations in the number of people gathering and that kind of thing. But certainly, as you said, a lot of the audience is already doing the right thing, which is, you know, masking, getting vaccinated, hand hygiene, all the regular things that we've been talking about. Libby's conversation on Wednesday with epidemiologist Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious disease specialist at the University Health Network, and Martin Firestone, travel expert and president of Travel Secure, Inc. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, how the COVID crisis has affected cancer screening in this province. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On Thursday, Fight Back dedicated a half-hour segment to colon cancer. Colorectal cancer is the third most commonly diagnosed cancer in Canada and the second leading cause of death from cancer in men and the third leading cause of death from cancer in women in our country. It's treatable if caught early, and that's why we're advised to screen for it after the age of 50. But we know some screening has been disrupted because of the pandemic, and that made the conversation especially timely. Joining Libby, Barry Stein, president of Colorectal Cancer Canada, and Dr. Stephen Gallinger, pancreatic surgical oncologist at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center. There's been very a lot of difficulty accessing physicians, especially family physicians, by the general population. And then those with symptoms, uh, again, that's not screening, but those with symptoms uh, have had significant delays in their investigations. And anecdotally, many physicians, such as myself and others, have noted uh, more advanced disease, uh, later disease than we think we saw before the pandemic. But I think probably the most important will be to gather the data and start uh, publishing it. And that's that's happening right now. So they're having significant uh, uh, delays and consequences uh, on screening for sure. Barry, what have you been finding with the people you're in contact with? I have to say that um, we've seen a, a lot of unusual things happening. Um, first of all, uh, during the last year or two, we've had um, across the country um, where there are screening programs, with the exception of Quebec, which doesn't yet have a screening program, but we have seen interruptions in those screening programs which has caused, um, uh, number one, a whole bunch of people who have missed their biannual uh, FIT screenings. And secondly, um, a lot of people who have gone beyond that, who have even had signs and symptoms, but have been afraid to come to the hospital um, for, you know, fear of catching the virus. Uh, and consequently, um, you know, their, their cancers are being diagnosed at a later stage. Uh, screening programs are there to look at the average risk population between 50 and 74 who have no signs and symptoms. So you want to catch it before there's a cancer. And those screenings have been missed. And in the province of Ontario, uh, there there actually is a very large number throughout the province of about, uh, I think it's about 24% in the recent, recent report who are at least behind in their screenings. But more than that, um, as was pointed out already, we have seen anecdotally um, um, new cases who are being found at more advanced stages. In a recent meeting that I've had with um, a clinical trials group in oncology in Quebec, uh, those oncologists report seeing you know more stage three cancers, well. and again, this is anecdotally, than stage two cancers that they would have normally have found at this time. I should point out one other thing. Not, it's not just about the screening. There's been interruptions in other aspects, for example, in delays of surgery. And um, some of our uh, oncologists um, have written in the British Medical Journal uh, during the past year that for every month delay in surgery, we find a 10% increase in mortality. 
Uh, what are the signs and symptoms? What should people be on the lookout for, Dr. Gallinger? Well, the, the traditional symptoms that we teach medical students and every family doctor should be aware, the, the usual symptoms of uh, actually of cancer, not necessarily a polyp, would be uh, a significant or a, con- a convincing, consistent change in bowel habits. So someone who was regular now becomes irregular. Someone who had regular stools now has loose stools. Occasionally, uh, blood in the stools. And uh, the screening test that Barry's talking about, the population-based stool tests, are, are designed to pick up blood in the stool and abnormal DNA that's shed by the tumors or polyps into the stool. Weight loss, fatigue, any, any symptom that's associated with anemia or bleeding uh, it can be a worrisome sign of, uh, of colon cancer. And, of course, uh, abdominal pain. Uh, those are, those are the, sort of the main uh, general symptoms that people need to be aware of. Uh, you know, we've done well, I think, in Canada and public health care system in, in promoting and supporting screening. You know, I think everybody should get screened uh, for average population. We can make a significant impact on this nasty disease. Dr. Stephen Gallinger, pancreatic surgical oncologist at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center, and Barry Stein, president of Colorectal Cancer Canada. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. This past week, Barbados became the latest former British colony to become a republic. The country's representatives are framing the removal of Queen Elizabeth as head of state as a way to finally break with the demons of its colonial history. Between 1627 and 1833, Barbados received 600,000 enslaved Africans who were put to work in the sugar plantations, earning fortunes for the English owners. Our history here in Canada is different, but the move raises the question, should we do the same here? It's an issue that comes up every time there is news or scandals involving the royals. And Angus Reid poll finds that a majority, a slim majority, 52% of Canadians, think we should become a republic. However, most would prefer to wait until the Queen passes or abdicates. Joining Libby for a discussion on Wednesday, James Stewart, the author of Being Prime Minister and a history teacher at Bishop Strawn School in Toronto, and Peter Danolo, Vice Chairman of Hill and Knowlton Strategies, who also served as Director of Communications for former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. You know, my view, and it has been my view for a long time, that this is an institution that's fundamentally at odds with um, the democratic principle, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a right of... of uh, that's handed down from within a single family from one generation to the next. Uh, you're born into it. Uh, you have to be a certain religion. Uh, and, you know, this notion, and to boot, it's a foreign institution. It's not, it's not, cause these people aren't Canadian. And so, you know, as a country through the decades, through 150 years of our history since Confederation, you know, one by one, we, we sloughed off these remnants of, of uh, being a British colony. Uh, you know, it took us a high, almost 100, and 100 years to get our own flag, for example. It's past time to get rid of this last remnant of, of colonialism. Okay. James Stewart, how do you see it? Well, I guess my view is, is quite different from Peter's, and uh, where 
Peter was talking about the family and the hereditary aspect of it. I see the crown as an integral part of our parliamentary system. So the crown is part of parliament. And I think what happens is a lot of Canadians end up conflating the royal family and the personalities like Prince Charles and Harry and, and the machinations of, of, that, uh, of that family with what the crown is as a constitutional inter- instrument, which is integral to how parliament works. And we inherited the parliamentary system from Britain. So it's not really a vestige of uh, an inherited family. It's part of uh, our Westminster parliamentary system, which we've taken from Britain. And, uh, and the crown is part of that. Okay. I mean, I guess it's, it's difficult for people when, uh, uh, you I know. Just, but... uh, just on that, I mean, listen, James, I admire his work. He's a terrific writer. Knows a lot about Canadian history. I disagree with him fundamentally on this notion that we can't have a Canadian parliamentary system, a British-style parliamentary system, in fact, without a monarch. Other Commonwealth countries have done it. Most of the Commonwealth, actually, as you know, has actually abolished the monarchy. So we can have all these institutions, every single one of them, and this and this legacy, without having a monarch. To Peter's uh, Peter's point, and you know, I, full respect for Peter too, who. Uh, is a seasoned communicator on, on the airwaves. But I just wonder, what actually would we do? How would we change that system? And we know anytime you get involved in the Constitution in this country, it is a bag of worms. And it's a very difficult situation. You'd end up with a national unity crisis of some kind. And I don't really know how we would actually fix this with the way that our country currently is constructed. Well, uh, that's a legitimate I, point. That's a legitimate point. I think it's a more honest point than saying our parliamentary system will fall apart. We probably do need a, a constitutional amendment to do this. Doesn't mean that it's not worth discussing. Doesn't mean that when we get the opportunity like this, that we shouldn't point out what an anachronism and embarrassment the monarchy is. James Stewart. Thank you, Libby. I guess the final point I wanted to make: symbols are important in a country, and you know. The monarchy and the constitutional element of, uh, of the Queen and the symbolism that it represents for Canada is an important part of our history, and it's something that should be maintained. Peter. Listen, I'm looking forward to debating this for the next 10 years because we're going to still be talking about it. And uh, it's, uh, listen, it's a bit of a luxury that this is the kind of thing we can debate in Canada when other countries have far more serious civil and, you know, and urgent and threatening civil issues to discuss. So, but like I say, let's grow up, guys. Peter Danolo, Vice Chairman of Hill and Knowlton Strategies, who also served as Director of Communications for former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, and James Stewart, the author of Being Prime Minister, and a history teacher at Bishop Strawn School in Toronto. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Tony in Pefferlaw phoned about staying loyal to the Queen. Libby, you remember back in school when they used to make us sing the, 
God Save the Queen first and the National Anthem next. We kind of like that. We like the fact that, you know, we had a bit of a, somebody's arm around us all the time. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I like Toronto better back in the days, in the 70s and 60s. And why change things? Like, why? Because we're not going to the better. You know, now we got all these diseases and crap and stuff. And, 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 and the last thing we should really worry or think about right now is, is, is this monarchy thing. And it's like, like, come on, people. Leave, leave things status quo and it's work till the end. And right now, why, why bother changing it now? And I, I think it adds a little. So, John called from Peterborough with a different view of the monarchy. It's time for all of this to be gone. It's time for Canada to become a republic and stand on its own two feet. Now, of course, you can hear by my accent. I'm Irish. We got freedom from them. Fighting. We have to fight. And we got rid of the monarchy. Now, a little country like that can do it. And all the other countries, they're all going to do it. This is outdated. You know, there's, there's just, I cannot, I cannot understand why people in Canada just don't see this. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Wendy in Guelph, who says the billion dollars in pandemic relief that went to Ontario businesses in error should be paid back. I live on a disability and I had started a small business, which did not qualify. And I found that out two payments in. So I stopped. And so that $4,000, and my income is only 25000 a year, and um, they're making me pay that $4,000 back, even though I mistakenly didn't qualify. And I live on, well, reduced food and prayers of getting through. So I don't know why these other big high rollers don't have to pay back any of the money that they knowingly got, because after a couple of months, you know you're not entitled. So you either stop taking it or you continue taking it. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.